My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking Podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, and their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support the podcast, for as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. I have Leslie Miley here, former CTO of the Obama Foundation, has had leadership roles, Google, Slack, Twitter, and Apple, and is investing in a number of startup companies around the world. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm always like humbled that anybody wants to hear anything I have to say. I just spew out a bunch of stuff. And so if somebody wants to listen to it, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Look, we have so much to learn from you and obviously... I'm honored to have you on the show. People can't see you right now, but right now, Leslie is working on a bike during the interview. What got you into this and how have you kept going? I've always been active. And one of the things I started doing years ago is I started doing walking one-on-ones, right? You know, just like grab you know, somebody, let's go for a walk. And, and I realized you know, a 30 minute one-on-one, you can sometimes get two miles, maybe two and a half miles. Yeah. And you do that a couple of times a day. You've got your 10,000 steps and then some. And so that became a habit. And when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, one-on-ones were sitting one-on-ones and you were sitting yeah. on home, on a couch or standing desk. And I realized in the first couple of days, actually, that I was actually not moving at all for seven hours a day. And, mm-hmm. and so I looked around and I saw that people were on the Peloton thing and people doing other things. I was like, I exercise, but I also just got exercise and just movement at work. So I set up my bike, my commuting bike on a stand and started pedaling on it during meeting. And then I just realized, like, wow, this is really good. And it's not like I'm pedaling, so I'm just getting a, working up a sweat, just pedaling enough to keep the movement going. And so I started that in probably late March or early April of 2020 and it's kept it up. And then because I'm an engineer, I instrumented my bike with Bluetooth sensors to pick up my speed and cadence so I could track my mileage. And since March, April of 2020, I have clocked in about 13,500 miles. Wow. Where were that? Where that? that, that, Is that like a... Around the globe? Like, what is that? It's about halfway around the world. I would definitely make it to maybe Prague. Maybe a little yeah. bit. Actually, I could probably make it by Australia. Australia. It's interesting because if you've ever gone to a gym and used bike gym at, uh, gym at the bike, you always see yeah. how sturdy and clunky they look. I can mm. tell you why now. Because people sit and use them. And I'm on my third seat on this bike now wow. since the pandemic. I actually had a seat post-break. Mm. You're just sitting there on this for five, six hours a day. It's, but it's been great. I won't say I haven't, like many people during the pandemic, I think we've all struggled with food and fitness and, but it's really helped me maintain my fitness level and weight and which has been extremely important because fitness is one part of physical activity. I think it's just one part of mental health as well. And so, so while this has been difficult for almost ever anyone and more difficult for others, it it has helped, probably helped keep me a little more even keel. Yeah. I think what's most impressive is that you're not breaking a sweat. You're not winded at all. It's impressive. Like I I got on the call and I was like, huh, this is going to be interesting. You're going to do this for about 30 minutes 
But I think that's impressive. And I would say too, I think during the pandemic, 100%, the ability to move is something that we shouldn't take for granted either. And yeah, I, for me, I live in the Bay Area as well. I think one of the biggest noticeable things was the car culture and commuting. And one would think if we work from home, we might have more opportunity to move and stretch. But when you're going meeting to meeting, you're not necessarily having the same amount of breaks that you would if you were in a physical office. So totally makes sense. Hey, look, let's get into a few icebreakers. We'll keep them pretty light, but mention that you like to stay active. I'm not sure if you're in the sports, but if you were to walk into an arena or walk on stage, which is something that you've done before, what is your intro song? <laughs> it's always going to be the theme to Shaft. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle. And, and it's just such an iconic, iconic piece of music. It definitely is dated. There's, it's infused with the misogyny and sexism uh, and stereotyping of the 60s, 70s, and definitely want to recognize that. But it's also, there's just so, so much about that movie and that soundtrack. It won an Oscar. Um, yeah. And I think it may have been the first soundtrack to buy a black artist and won an Oscar. The movie itself was groundbreaking in that it really highlighted a, an African-American character in a positive light that was not stereotyped, at least the stereotypes of the time. Sure. Which was also groundbreaking. And so I've been in tech for quite a while. <laughs> And we're not going to talk about how long, but I remember the dot-com boom and bust very well, yeah. which is, I think is a little bit appropriate today. And I've walked into many companies. I've walked into many organizations and many groups, the only, or the first and the only African-American. Yeah. And so when, when that theme music plays, it does remind me of how groundbreaking the movie was yeah. for Black Americans and how, in many ways, groundbreaking tech has been for many Black Americans. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question. Okay. If you could instantly become an expert at something, what would it be? Just simply become an expert at something. Does it have to be real or can it be imaginary? It can be whatever uh, you want. Yeah. That's just so hard because I'd really just like to be an expert at solving any problem put in front mm. of me. Maybe that's a cop-out, but I just think that if we collectively took our ability to solve problems and applied mm. them to people and to human beings, we'd be much further along instead yeah. of applying them to crypto and then you know, crypto finance and things like that. And right. I look at people who are problem solvers and I look at people who are putting that effort towards humanity and I really admire and envy them. Yeah. Yeah. So are you saying like the energy that people have about crypto, like investing that in things that are for the good of humanity, right? I mean, for the good of, yes. And people who are doing, I'm, I'm not trying to I criticize people. I'm sorry. Do we really need another scooter company? No, we don't. If you look at ride hailing yeah. and as much as they, they like to say, oh, we're doing this, we're democratizing it, we're democratizing that. Have you taken a lift weight? Have you seen how much that costs? When I was in New York recently, I took cabs. I'm just like, the cost difference wasn't that much, but I was like, when did it become $40 to go 20 blocks? Yeah. And who wants to walk 20 blocks when it's 94 degrees in New York? You could take subway for $3 or two seventy five, whatever it is today. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just, we're not solving the problems of human beings. We're not even solving problems. We're actually just being part of a capitalistic system that extracts as much value out of people and processes mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah. All right. Last icebreaker, and it could be maybe relevant. What is something that, you know, you're, you're currently obsessed with right now? What currently obsessed with, right? What's currently obsessed with losing five pounds? I couldn't, I was like, where did this five pounds come from? No more Manhattan, your work. What am I currently obsessed with? 
I don't know if I'm obsessed with any one thing, yeah, but a couple of things. I'm really interested in what is going on in voter suppression. Mm. And because it really has, and I call out voter suppression even above Roe versus Wade, right? Even above what's happening with the January 6th commission hearing, because those situations, specifically Roe versus Wade and potential overturning of that is directly related to voter suppression. And Mm. I'm really surprised that people haven't drawn that that connection and people haven't made those connections. And I've said to people, I'm like, if we saw this kind of energy when Wisconsin was suppressing voters back in 2011, 2012, we wouldn't be here today. And when you have our leaders in power saying, if you don't like this, go out and vote. And I'm like, that's why we voted the last time for you to do something about this. And you haven't. And I'm not going to just give you my vote again when you didn't take care of us the first time. And by taking care of us was to actually kill the filibuster, pass voting legislation Not that be would at protect this point. people's rights. Yes. Yeah. It's like you're, we're at this point because you didn't have the courage to right. do what was necessary. And so if I'm obsessed with anything, I'm obsessed with how do we inspire our leaders? This mm-hmm. is the other way around. Not that our leaders inspire us. How do we inspire our leaders to have mm-hmm. that type of courage? And we've right. just been terrible at that because we didn't do it during the Obama years. And I'm not sure if we're doing it today. Yeah. Do you think, at least on the voter suppression side of things, is it a matter of basically, are you thinking, are you saying that like voter suppression is leading to these less desirable outcomes? Is it because, is that, is it discouraging people to vote? So voter oppression, voter yeah. suppression and oppression denies people equal representation, which means mm-hmm. you get the skewed results that we get today. Gotcha. So honestly, and this is very true, we never would have had Trump had there not been voter suppression. Let's just be clear about that. The numbers are extremely obvious when you look at Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota and Pennsylvania and Georgia and these Ohio and these battleground states where the margin of victory was tens of thousands, if not just a few hundred thousand votes. Then you look at the result of voter suppression and who didn't get the vote, whose votes didn't. We wouldn't be where we are today. I'm not sure if it would be materially better, but definitely wouldn't be as bad as it's been. This is what I mean. So if people don't get representation, you get these skewed results because people don't have to worry about losing their seats in Congress or their Senate seats or their city council seats or their state legislature seats. And this is what's happened. And it allows people to be more radical because there's no real accountability. Yeah. It's almost like we're experiencing the latent effect of things that may have happened eight, 12 years ago. Oh yeah. It's the long game. And I I don't even want to say I respect the game, but I acknowledge the effort many people have done on the right to set the system up the way it is today. You know, they play the long game and it's unfortunate, but it's, yeah. And I'm not sure if we get out of this. I just don't see how, I don't see how we get out of this because I like, once again, it's like, how do we inspire our leaders? Cause our leaders are not doing what we need them to do. I'm just, I'll call They're just not. Yeah. And I live in San Francisco, dude. I got to tell you, I am dumb. If there's ever a time I want to run for office, it's like running for office in San Francisco because I'm like, y'all, y'all just sus. You just aren't even close to being good. And I'm going on record saying this. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. It's like, these are people, and this is the yeah. mayor, this is the city council, this is the city supervisors, who are part of the power structure, yeah. who had no desire to really change it because that means they would lose power and they'd lose the ability to get their next political career step, which is a state legislator, state assembly. So they keep the status quo. And so mm-hmm. have a humanitarian crisis playing out on the streets in San Francisco every day. We have right. city services that just don't work. We don't have enough housing for the people who are here. And Mm. what does the city council spend their time on? They spend their time on going back to approving 
the next scooter company, you know, that puts yeah. scooters on the streets of San Francisco. And I'm like, that wouldn't even make it to, you know, right. I was there and you're like, no, we're not even talking about that. Oh, get that correct right. out of here. You know, we're going to talk right. about how we're going to use the city's resources to start affecting positive change in places like the Tinder Moine and Bayview Hunters Point. Where These are the things that we're going to do, but they don't do that. They just play the same political games they've been playing over and over yeah. again. And they're not serving the people of San Francisco. And I think, and, and I think what's marginalized people. Is. I think what's interesting about that is like when you start thinking about the convergence of this humanitarian crisis that you speak of in politics, it's like tech is the guys to solve these things when it actually does nothing. And so it comes back to what we were saying, what we yeah. started talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Like solving problems. There's a guy, Rick Cloud. He's, I think he's like the CTO or something for the state of California. And he used to work with GB at Google and Google's venture capital arm. And he's working for the state of California. And I'm like, more power to you, man. Thank you. Thank you for at least going someplace to make a difference. You are privileged enough to have made enough money to go and take a job because I'm sure the job doesn't pay what you did before. Yeah. But this is what we need. And we need yeah. people who are willing to do that. And, but we can't, the thing is that people can't be willing to do that because you can't take those public sector jobs and live in can't you can't take those public sector jobs and even live in Oakland or live in San Jose. Right. You know, I mean, so this is what I mean. It's like we are totally failing, and it just continues to concentrate the power, the political power, amongst mm. you people who understand and work the system. Yeah, yeah. So that means that you're going to be running for office in the next decade, right? Is that what I'm hearing? I think about it every now and then. I think about yeah. all the skeletons in my closet. I'm like, yeah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> people are going to come out of the woodwork on me, and I just don't. <laughs> Like all kinds of people, I can just imagine, you know. Yeah. Somebody from when I was 21 years old talking about the stuff I did. <laughs> They're going to reference this podcast. That's what it's going to be. Listen to that. Yeah. yeah. And just like, somebody, somebody remember him when he was in his 20s because just don't get some dirt on him. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had a friend that was running for office and during his like vetting process, they actually dug up everything, like all the Facebook stuff and even contacted me. I was like, this is insane. Just how much of our data is on the internet for people to willingly take and toward it in any way that they want to. Yeah. I started being extremely circumspect on yeah. social media about a decade. <laughs> right? no. Yeah. Just like, but every now and then things pop up on Facebook. I was like, I said that? I wrote that? Oh, that timeline. <laughs> Dangerous. Oh, not, yeah. 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 The thing is, but also, I like the callback. I love the callback. It goes back to like Shaft, right? It's like yeah. things were different. And the person I am today isn't the person I was a decade ago. Sure. And I'd like to think that I've learned and that yeah. I'm an evolving human being. And that's something that I think sometimes we don't give enough grace and hold enough mm -hmm. space for is, is for people's sure. growth. You know, it's, it's yeah. like Dave Chappelle said it the best. And I know that's a hot button topic for a lot of people. But Dave Chappelle, he called it out. It's like, you are going to go and dig up all these things I said 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And use them against me. And some of it is probably appropriate, right? If I was getting up there and ranting about, you know, women's rights and why women should be doing this, women should be doing being a sexist misogynist to, to the extent that it was, to the extent that it was really bad, like Harvey Weinstein bad, yeah, yeah. use that against me. Yeah. But I grew up in the nineties, man, as I listen to gangster rap and it's misogynistic and it, it's sex, sexist and it glorifies violence and all the things that we don't approve of today. Sure. But just because I liked it and listened to it, doesn't make me that person today. And this is yeah. something that I think that we have to, as a society, start to understand and hold space that people do grow and change and yeah. look at them for what they're doing now, not 
for what they listened to or wrote 15 or 20 years ago, unless they're just the same person, because some people are, many people just don't change. Yeah. Look, on that note, I think is actually a great sort of like segue of who is Leslie Miley? Maybe give us like, just like a brief kind of story about who you are and how you got to where you are and what you do today. Definitely not a traditional path by any yeah. imagination. I grew up in Silicon Valley and that just afforded itself, afforded a, an amazing opportunity to watch what was going on. And I grew up during the time when it was transitioning from the, the tail end of agriculture, because it used to be a place where you could grow anything to chip manufacturing, Silicon Valley, to what it is today, which is tech company. And watching that, my nightly news was watching Steve Jobs do a product announcement. My nightly news was watching HP and Oracle and these companies grow and these people on TV selling the future. And it was inspiring in ways that I didn't recognize 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. But being in a place where technology is part of your lifestyle meant that I was never intimidated by like a people can be because it was just like, it was there. People had video games, people had computers, early computers. And even though your parents are always like, don't touch this, don't do this, I would do it anyway. So I grew up hacking. I grew up hacking cable boxes to get all the channels and then selling access to that. So I show up at your house with my toolkit and the statute of limitations has run out. So I'm good at telling the story. And I packed your cable box and you'd get all these stations and I'd take $200 and I'd go buy wow. And for 11, 12 year old, that was a lot of money. It's a lot. So I would do that. I would do that yeah. a couple of times and I'd be set for the summer, right? And have to, you know, money to close. I hacked the phone system so you can get free long distance phone calls. Remember when you actually paid for long distance phone calls? Oh like, yeah. Phone, phone cards. Yeah. yeah, I do. I hacked them. I had a whole book ah. of like access codes and so I was selling those too. So I was like doing anything to... <laughs> yeah, to, to make some money. And that really taught me something. It was like, it was not just hacking the technology. It was hacking yeah. the systems mm. and hacking the systems to get access. Uh, yeah. And not just access to the central office, the CEO, but also hacking the system to get access to people. My career really started as a security guard at Apple when I was 19 years old. And it was the only job I could get, right? Because I didn't go to college. And, you know, so here I am at, at one o'clock in the morning doing the graveyard shift. Walking around. Is that like their Cupertino campus? Cupertino campus, yeah. yeah. Walking around there in the middle of the night and seeing neckbeards, right, guys? <laughs> Beards all the way down here. And I'd ask them what they're doing. And they're like, we're writing programs, we're doing this. I'm like, I'm not a program. And they're like, oh, you don't? I'm like, yeah, dude, let me show you. You know, but then I'd sit there and I'm like, oh, I've never seen 68K assembly or DW backslash program workshop back in the day. And they are like, let's teach you. So here I am in this polyester wow. car uniform. And here they are, haven't bathed in four days. And <laughs> drinking a bunch of Diet Coke. And we would commune. And, and I never really thought anything of it. I just thought they were nerds. I was nerds. This is what nerds do. This is what nerds do. And it really helped me gain entry because I gained skills and, and technology and knowledge that I wouldn't have gained any other way. Where yeah. else does a kid from the lower income side of town yeah. get access to this? Who, you know, when they're not in school, I didn't plan, I can't say, oh, I planned it this way. This was my nefarious plan to take over tech. No, it was just, I needed a job and Apple seemed cool. And then these people seemed cool. And that's how I got started. And hacking into systems like that has been a hallmark of my career. Yeah. Coming from a non-traditional background in tech, which it's all the rage now, right? It's like, oh, we've got boot camps. You can YouTube, Coursera, sure. Udemy, blah, 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 all these things, which is great. I think it's the most amazing thing that you could actually chart your own adventure, 
Right. Dude, in 2004, you could not charge your adventure. You did not have this pedigree. 2006, you did not have a pedigree of going to Stanford mm. or Cal or MIT or CMU. It was really hard. Yeah. And you, if you got in, you were relegated to tech support or IT or QA. And these were areas that tech segregated and discriminated against. And I was, I mean, that's perfectly right. awesome. And because many people of color and women ended up in those areas, we were in tech, actually didn't get the respect, the pay, or the opportunity that many of people did. And many of us languished and many people quit. Yeah. But that's what started my career and what kept me in tech, even though I think I experienced some good things and bad things, is that it always had the specter of making things better for human beings. You, you could there, see. Was there like a specific moment? Is there a moment in time where kind of to hacking the system? Was there a moment where you were like, you know what, I can do this. This is where I see myself, or at least this is where I can see the path for myself when there wasn't, when there really weren't too many examples at that time? No. <laughs> no, there wasn't. What there was. Yeah. I just didn't want to be poor. It was a way to so it was a survival money. thing. Yeah. And it was like, you could see, you could see it was changing the world and you could see that it was a way for you, for me not to be broke. And right. I came from, I didn't come from abject poverty, but there were times we didn't have food to eat. There were times when our bills right. paid, things got cut off. And I just mm. didn't want to be that way. And, and tech was a way because there was money in it. I could do the job, even though in many ways, in many times, I'll be honest, I hated the job. Mm. I mean, I really, there were times when the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, the discrimination that I would experience had me, I don't want to do this anymore. But I was also like, I need to do this because it pays really well. And I need to do this because I think it, it's where the future is going. And when I say it pays really well, it, I wasn't making millions of dollars, but I wasn't going hungry. So there did come, there, there were just these moments, it's all like highs and lows, right? There were, there were moments where I know I'm doing well. But then there yeah. were moments that I could give you examples. Then there are moments when you know you're doing well, but you end up getting marginalized. And mm. there was one job I was at where I went from a director to senior director, one of the highest performing people on the team. And within four months, somebody's trying to manage me. Out. And I remember asking this person, Chris, like, how do I go from having this high level of performance to sucking as much as you're telling me I suck? informal. Right. How does that work? And there was never any reason why, right? And this is the thing that you know, people talk about, oh, it's a PIP culture. I was like, dude, I knew what a PIP culture was in 2003. So right. don't talk to me about Amazon's PIP culture. I can tell you what it was like in 2003. And whatever you're getting today, trust me, was a lot better than we got. Into. I don't know. I'm just like ranting here. But the whole thing was, I believed that tech was a way for me to have a living, mm. regardless of some of the bullshit. And also that it was a way that changed the world for the better. And I could always see it was always on the horizon, but the path there was never linear. It was always zigzagging along. One of the things that I've taken away from this, I think a lot of times you do hear this sort of, I'll get into tech because I want to change the world, which I think is great. But I think there is a humanistic part of, you know, I'm trying to eat here, <laughs> which... For, for women and people of color and women of color? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have no love for Meta. I have no love for parts of Google. I have no yeah. love for particularly Coinbase today. But if they're going to give you generational wealth, yeah. do it. Yeah. I can't, like, during, I don't know, it was like last year or sometime or another. Oh, it was during Tim Neat's exit from Google. Mm -hmm. Somebody was like, would you tell people of color not to join Google? I'm like, no, no, of course not. Yeah. Don't take your Google money. Take that money. That is that makes a difference in your life more than anything right. else. So you need to go and do this. What I will tell is I'll tell white people to quit. <laughs> Y'all gonna be okay, right? <laughs> You're gonna be yeah. okay. You go get another job. You don't have to worry about what she had to worry about or what I had right. to worry about. Many other people had to worry about. But people of color, these jobs 
are transformational. Rodney Erdmott, who staff engineer at Slack, he coined a phrase, he called it the reverse friends and family round, right? Where <laughs> when, what's perfect to perfect statement. Yeah. When we make this kind of money, when we have these kind of resources, stock and bonuses yeah. and whatnot, we can then help out our family where in yeah. many ways, and many of us are the first ones in our family to have this type of wealth. Yes. And, yeah. and so there's a Frederick Lee, who's the CISO of Gusto. We, he and I've talked about it. We've all taken care of members of our family. 100%. And, and this is what is why it's reverse friends and family. It's like a lot of people come into tech and they get their family who will support them, right? While they start yes. a company or go to a startup and don't work for anything. Uh, it's like, now we it, do it, it the other way around. It, it, it's almost like a hierarchy of needs, right? It's, hey, look, let me put my oxygen mask on first. Let me get my family right. And then I think a lot of times it's in parallel, but it's not the first thing necessarily to think about changing the world right away. But the impact of being able to support your family has actually a ton of instant, like you said, generational benefits that we see. So I really appreciate you having that sort of perspective and also being able to speak that because you don't really hear a lot of that. So I want to fast forward then. So you've obviously had extensive experience in, in leadership roles. And I think, again, I think this is a more nuanced question, right? I think people, a lot of the discussion is around being a leader, but a leader, being a leader is not necessarily uh, an accomplishment that you get and it's stagnant. It's changing over time. And so for you, how have your eyes opened up and what it means to be a leader? What are some of the challenges that you've faced as you've transformed throughout your career? Wow. We learn to be leaders. We model leadership based upon the people who we work with and may respect or who we believe are successful or good leaders. Yeah. Sometimes that's just wrong, right? It's that you're just modeling on the wrong people, but you don't know. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, tech has had enough successful assholes that, mm. that, that a lot of my leadership was modeled on people who were terrible people and terrible managers and terrible leaders. And then you have to course correct and then you have to figure that out. Yeah. And that takes time. And I was hoping you'd ask this question because it is, this is such an amazing time to have a conversation like this. And I may send it off in a slightly different direction. Sure. We're seeing headwinds, economic headwinds and adversity for the first time in over a decade. Yeah. Many people who are running companies today have never faced economic adversity in their career ever. They don't even, and many have never done it in their life. And let's just be honest, Brian Armstrong or Coinbase, he go miss a meal. He's not going to, he's not going to not be able to afford something. His life is, will not materially change. But he's facing something he's never faced before. And that he's showing his true color. And many mm. other CEOs, a guy that wasn't better, yeah, they all start showing their true colors. Yet, think about the number of people who are modeling their leadership on these folks, right? Mm. So this is how you end up with a Silicon Valley tech bro asshole, right? Because yeah. when, it's, when things are going good, you're going to model that leadership. And I saw it and I did it as well. People model their leadership on Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs was peak asshole, right? They model their leadership on Travis over you Uber and when Travis was peak asshole. So when we model, we're not just like read a book, but we also see what people do. And we say, oh, that's successful. They're successful, so I'm going to do that. And you model off an asshole, guess what? You're being an asshole. You're being an asshole. Yeah, it's just, that's, that. the thing is recognizing it and then making those course adjustments. And this is something that like, yeah. I've tried to do because I know early in my leadership career, dude, I was an asshole. Yeah, I was not. I was. I did things that I look back on right now. I am hugely embarrassed, mm. ashamed, and yeah. don't even want to talk about it because it's so bad. Yeah. So over the years, I just start picking other leadership models. Yeah. President Obama is a great leadership. Nelson Mandela is a great model of leader. Mm. And you look at inclusive leadership. You look at leadership that opens doors for people and that uplifts other people, and realize that my job as a leader 
is to pave the way for future leaders. That is actually above and beyond helping a company be successful. Because if I do that, the company will be successful. So right. I'm not going to concentrate on shareholder value, right? right? Or driving revenue or impact. It's, are the people that I'm managing, are they getting better? Are they growing in their career? And, mm. and if they are, then everything else should take care of itself. You have to pay attention to the bottom line, do stupid things. But if you're taking care of folks and you're growing your leadership and you're growing your bench and you're providing them with opportunities and feedback and critical feedback, you're actually taking care of everything. Yeah. And this is, it's not just about getting projects done. And this is, these are the things that, that I think we all know how to do or we learn to do right. anyway. It's really about how do you cultivate the people who you have the honor of leading? Yeah. I think what's interesting and not, there, there are some people that are anomalies that do have sort of some lasting power as far as leadership goes. But I think a lot of times when you think about those asshole CEOs that may have led a company's success, it's actually for a very limited amount of time. And over time, they become case studies on what not to do versus when you look at these more embodiment leaders around like an Obama or Nelson Mandela, like you mentioned, they leave a lasting legacy. So it almost, the proof is there in a sense, if you think about it that way, love to know, like for you personally, like how did you approach these? Is this, was this a situation where you really sat down with yourself and said, Hey, here's some things that I want to prioritize was a principal approach or was it just connecting with your team more? Tell us how you approach that. I steal shamelessly from people I admire. And it was finding people who I admired, who I thought were doing a good job and modeling and talking with them and learning mm -hmm. what, and listening and learning what worked for them. And then kind of mixing it with who I am. But at the end of the day, I'll just probably the most honest thing I'll say today. So I still yeah. think I'm a terrible leader. And I think I still have to grow as a leader. And just yeah. recently I've taken a step back from leading people so that I could get some space and reflect on yeah. it because I was not living up to the standards that I wanted to live up. Mm. And honestly, I was just burned out. I was burned yeah. out on leadership. I think when you lead with empathy, when you try to lead with empathy, when you try to lead with understanding and compassion, it's exhausting. Yeah. And I just ran out of energy to do it. So I, I just said, mm. I, I need to take a step back and not do this because yeah. it will allow me to answer the question whether or not I want to continue to be an operator yeah. and grow and scale teams. Whether mm -hmm. that's at the VP level, CTO level or whatever. Yeah. I think probably one of the more difficult things, I don't know if you've resonated with this at some point is also there's a part of your own journey. Like you mentioned about being like marginalized and being managed out. Being an empathetic leader in some cases, for me at least, has brought up some of those not so great experiences. Do you think that kind of plays a little bit of a role in terms of the heaviness and the responsibility that, you know, you have? That's an excellent observation. So I, uh, this is very well publicized, but I was coming in, walking into Google one day and people at Google, employees at Google were weaponizing badging, right? So I'm walking in with a bunch of other people. Some guy puts his hand on me, tries to push me out the door because he doesn't mm. see my back. And he did, he like literally pushed me out the door mm. and I pushed him. I'm like, you don't touch me, get your hands off me, which yes. I saw. And there was at a door, so there was video and I actually got to see the video. It looked bad. Like five, I'm a taller black guy. It yeah. looked bad. Yeah. And during the investigation, they're like, leaders shouldn't act this way. And I thought about that and I'm like, that's a fair statement. Yeah. However, I've got a lifetime of experiences that played into my reaction. When people would come to me who maybe not in my group and talk, talk to me about, oh, they're being put on a performance plan or having issues with their manager. I internalize a lot of that because I know what that feels like. And yeah. sometimes you can't help 
Sometimes you can't yeah. be the objective voice because you're, that's your trauma. So yeah. just like with this person at the door at Google, just would come up to me and have these discussions. I have to work through that trauma. And sometimes I'm, I have, and I can be of assistance and many times I can't. Hmm. And it's hard to separate. And lately in trying to be a more authentic person, not just a leader, a more authentic human being, I've realized that there are difficulties. Yeah. In being authentic and how it shows up in the real world. I'll give you another example that's happened recently. I was in New York. I was taking a cab to go to Dutch. And I'm on the street and there's a person ahead of me. And if you've been to New York, even in places where you get a cab, you know the mm -hmm. person in front gets the cab first. So I'm right. like, that's cool, right? He's yep. raised his hand. I got my hand up. Two cabs start to cut in. I'm like, oh, cab for him, mm -hmm. cab for me. This is great. This cab comes, stops for one stop and one stops. And I started to get in the cab. This dude runs, gets in my way. He's like, that's my cab. I'm like, Shoot, then you just get a cab. I got a group of people over here. And I'm like, cab stop for me. It's New York. Yeah. You do you, I'm going to do me. We'll get your cab. Right. I'm getting into this one. You know, we've been waiting out here for 10 I'm like, I don't care how long you've been waiting, man. The cab stop for me. That's how it works. Excuse me, I'm getting in a cab. So I try to get into the cab. Someone grabbed my arm. Whoa. I was like, and I turned around. I'm like, who are you? you can imagine what yeah. I said. Yeah. And the only thing that stopped me from hitting this person or putting hands on this person is it was an old white woman. And I'm like, what? You don't grab, what the, why are you, what the hell is your problem, Lee? Yeah. And he's like, don't talk to my mom that way. Like, why is your mom grabs? Like, like, that's an 82 year old Who's the aggressor woman. here? I'm like, as an 82 year old woman, she thinks she'd learn not to put hands on people, especially in New York. Yeah. But I realized like I am yelling at an 82 year old woman and her son. Mm. And because I have this trauma of, yeah. of like, just, just live trauma as a black man in the United States. And I'm not blaming it on that. I'm just saying that's my experience. Yeah. And that's why you're get, they're getting this reaction. And these are the things that when you're authentic, and I think when you, and for me, it's like, I, I have that same experience at work. When somebody comes to me and they're like, I'm being pipped. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. Somebody puts their hands on me as I'm trying to get in the door. I'm like. I go straight back to being 15 years old and in the mm -hmm. hood. I'm like, get off right. me, man. What's up? And it's like, how can you lead effectively when you have that? And that is why I'm not leading people today. Because I realize that the other side of being authentic as a human being and as a leader means that you're also a little more emotionally raw. And I haven't figured out how to navigate that. Yeah. And so I, and I realized I couldn't be of service to people this way. I couldn't be of service to somebody coming to me, talk to me about their career issues. I just experienced so much, particularly in the last five years, everything that's gone on. And, and I just, there are just these experiences. It's like you sit there with somebody who telling you that in their discussion with HR about a person of color who having performance issues that HR told them, we're not going to negotiate with terrorists. This is what HR says, right? Like, mm. how do you not internalize that? Just, wow. Yeah. How are brown people terrorists? Yeah. So right now I'm working through that. Yeah. And I realize it's a long journey. Yeah. And I, people who are continuing to lead, who have gone through many of the same things, I have so much respect. For yeah. Yeah. Thank Sorry, you for sharing that. Because I, I think that, no, I think that's extremely powerful. And I think it's important to understand that, yeah, we've got these lived experiences that we're dealing with and being a leader isn't just a one dimensional title that we have, right? It's very complex. There's a lot of weight that comes with it. So on that note though, like what is next for you? Are there anything that you're working on right now? And what's the future looking forward for Leslie? I was hoping you'd ask that question. So right now I'm working as a technical advisor in the office of the CTO at Microsoft. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So I've been doing that for a little while, which yeah. is gets me out of leading people, gets me working with yeah. projects. 
gets me uh, things like sustainability and things like hmm. digital safety, things like identity and really problems that can make things better for human beings. Sure. And some of the problems we've created, let's just be perfectly problems. but they're problems that I'm passionate about, right? Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm obsessed with them, but I'm definitely passionate about them. And I see the impact that they've had on marginalized groups in particular. And this could be a way to help start leveling the playing field yeah. where we just haven't really thought about it. Because when people go to start, when somebody was starting Uber, somebody starting Lyft, people starting Twitter, they were talking about, oh, let's uplift, let's make, they were, let's be perfectly honest. Uh -huh. Travis was like, ah, I can't get a cab in San Francisco. I can do this. Yeah. And definitely Mark Zuckerberg was like, I just want a way to, to, to rate women. Really? Yeah. This is what you created today. It's like, no wonder Facebook is a cesspool of what it is today. It's because its very DNA was based upon objectification. So this is a, for me to work on these types of problems and work with a group of people who are also passionate about trying to make the world a better place, which I also yeah. understand is the same company that, you know, that owns your company. So yeah, <laughs> it's all good. We're in the same family, right? <laughs> we are in the same family. Yeah. Yeah. So is this more of a, obviously you're not coding, right? So does this feel more like a creative kind of place where you're able to exercise that side of your brain a little bit more? In, in many ways, it's really difficult. I have to be honest with you. It's because as an operator, you just tell people. What... Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. This. yeah, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's influence. And mm. that is something I am terrible at. I influence in the way that it happens in businesses, right? If, oh, yeah. sit down, talk to this person. Listen to what they have to say. Go and do the rounds. And I'm somewhat of an introvert. I'm very much sure. an introvert. So doing those rounds is really in, in exhausting to me. So I really try to be as impactful as I can. And which also means I actually, and I know probably you don't get it here. I will sit through a meeting for 90% of it and not say a word. But I try to like, just, I just want to hit the things that are really important. Y'all can talk about everything else. I just want to make sure that the perspective that I have as I hate using the term technologist, but I do think of myself as a technologist as someone who's done this for 20 plus years as someone who has seen it from all different sides, right? From yeah. the heights of privilege to the depths of marginalization, it brings a different perspective. And I just think it's so important and it's just, it's amazing to me. And I, I don't stand for many companies, right? Sure. But very few companies actually have acknowledge that's important in product development, much like Microsoft mm -hmm. is doing today. Yeah. They realize that's been something that's missing from their product. So it, it's definitely a different set of brain muscles I get to exercise as opposed to yeah. this life. And a different form of leadership as well. Yeah. Sure. Well, Leslie, it was great having you on the show today. This was amazing. We got to talk about so many different things and learn about you. How can people follow up with you? Do you have any like newsletters? I know you've got the Twitter. Where do you prefer people connect with you the best? Always Twitter. And I may not respond. I'll just, I'm terrible at responding. Don't come with me with a pitch of your startup. Just don't. Just if you, if that's your entry, I'm just going to ignore it. Just get it. It's your passion. Well, that's not my passion. And I don't, yeah. I, I have, I have a, a very short attention span for that. But if people mm -hmm. want to engage with me authentically, I so appreciate that. I so appreciate people who are just trying to be the, the best version of themselves. Yeah. It's, and I just think mm -hmm. that the last couple of years have afforded so many people to be that. Yeah. So hit me up on Twitter, my slide in my DMs are open, which is great. And then if you just, just want to chop it up, let me know. I love forums like this because I get to talk to amazing people like yourself who are doing great work. I really like do my research as well, who are doing great work and giving voice to people who deserve their voices. I, and if you can, I was like, you want to get a really impactful leader on here. It's two people I have for you. Okay. Erica Baker. Okay. 
you got to get Erica. She's the CTO of the DCC now. Okay. She's just an amazing leader. And Lisa Galopter, she runs a small company out of Oakland called Techquity. Okay. She worked for the USDS, US Digital Service. She's been in tech for a while. I think it's always great to get the people who are doing things now, like Mecca over at Google, who's just an amazing, another amazing individual. There are people of color who've been doing this, who've been on the grind for decades. And that history needs to get told. I know Lisa was doing this in the 90s. You know, the Ty Ahmad Taylor, he's a VP over at Meta. I don't know if you know him. But he's just someone who you should definitely talk to. If you want the finance side of it, hit up Low Tony at Plexo Capital. Okay. He was a GV. He spun off on his own. And I remember sitting at lunch with him four or five years ago, six years ago, maybe. And he's telling me what he was going to do. He's like, I'm working at GV now, but this is what I'm going to do. And this is why I'm going to do it. And I was like, okay, come on. He is. He on, he's on CNBC. He's on MSNBC. He's everywhere now. He's like, he's got this award yeah. for, like, for venture capital. And I'm like, there's a dude who manifested some shit, right? Yeah. Uh, these are the people who, who we should be engaging with and getting yeah. their story out there more. Because yeah. he's well known in the, like, yeah, I saw his name out there. I had people like, no, I've never heard of him. It's like, he's, yeah. he's amazing. Like, Erica's doing amazing work at the DCC. Yeah. Lisa has been on the grind for years. Ty has been on the, the grind for years. There's a guy named Mike Smith, most just basic name ever. He has been at Stitch Fix forever. He's an executive there. He's been on the book. He's on the board. Of just like, it's another, here are people who, and he, right. and he and I were our early leadership careers at Walmart.com in the early part of the century, which makes me feel really old. So there's just, well, when you say early yeah. part of the century, yes. <laughs> Why well, you not know, say like 2003, right? It was still, it's like, it's still 20 years ago. I still think of 20, 2003, like it feels like yesterday, but yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I did, at least I didn't say I was doing stuff for, what do they call it? Y2K? Oh, yes. Yes, Y2K. Look, what you're mentioning is a big part of why I created this platform, because you're right. Those stories do need to be told. And I think it helps resonate because people out here, they can understand that this isn't the first time that people are going through some of these different things. And there are folks that are creating successful things, manifesting their biggest dreams. And I think for you, you have an amazing story of where you are today and you know, one thing I didn't ask you is, I know you worked on the Obama Foundation. Do you have an Obama impersonation? Do you have? No, you've heard this. Nah, you heard <laughs> somebody cued you into my Obama impersonation. <laughs> there's only, there's no way you're going to ask that question just out of the blue. But did somebody cue you in on this? Did you see it? Did I do this at a talk sometime? Look, anytime you can do it. You can come back and do it. I'm not going to pressure <laughs> I'm you. Busy if I can pull it. You're just cracking me up on that right now. Usually I just throw it out there. I, but he is an amazing individual in that he can take yeah. information and synthesize it and sound like an expert. And I just always, uh, just that is something I'm always amazed with. But he's really good at, it's hard to pull up. Like I usually just do it ad hoc. You know, but, but he talks in a way that it really makes you think that he knows exactly what he's saying. Hey, there we go. Hey, we did it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, thing. And he gets, he gets the hand thing down too. Yeah, you got to get the hand thing. And you got all that, but uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, no, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope that you continue to do this and and get people who are really doing amazing things to, to talk about it and to continue to inspire because that's what it's about. Thank you. Thank you so much. That concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. 
By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.